Flying Coach is back for a second season, Peter Schrager and Rams head coach Sean McVay are joined by guests from around the sports and entertainment world. They're discussing the latest NFL news, telling stories from their careers, and breaking down games from their unique perspectives. Check out Flying Coach Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Verrier and joining me today for this late night edition of Group Chat, Rob Mahoney. I'm just here to throw a lob off the backboard to Waz coming up here. <laughs> That's right. The mother hen of the Hawks gang, right. Hawks uh, bandwagon here. Waz and Lambre is here. What's up, man? What up? What up? What up? Shouts to Trey TL and Trey TL only. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I haven't heard that one before. Uh, we are obviously going to get into some Hawks Bucks game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, we'll also do a little preview action of Suns Clippers game three. We'll get into some offseason news. Uh, first, we're going to talk Hawks and Bucks, obviously, but thank you for joining us on Green Room, first and foremost. Uh, we might be taking some questions this time. We didn't last time, but I think we're getting a little bit more comfortable with this. So send your questions along as we're doing this, and we might pick some out and, and answer some of them. Uh, but holy shit, this game was... I think we were all ready to bow to the altar of Mike Budenholzer for making one simple adjustment <laughs> in order to win this game. But holy shit, he managed to screw this up anyway. Uh, the bottom just fell out on this game and I really didn't know what was going on for a while, but here we are Hawks up game one. What do you think? So I'm watching it throughout the game. And honestly, I thought the Hawks were kind of in trouble because defensively the Bucks were basically, they took a, a Ginsu knife to these guys, right? Uh, everything was a layup. And when they weren't making layups off of cuts or just getting straight to the basket off of dribble penetration, they were spraying it out for great looks in the first half that they just happened to miss. They should have had like 70 points in that first half off of just the looks that they generated, which again were point blank looks and wide open threes. I'm like, wow, the Hawks need to do some type of adjustment. I mean, yeah, because... The, the 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 Bucks are just, you know, they're running this stuff to perfection right now, right? Like a conventional pick and roll defense, they were eating it up for, for lunch. However, I'm watching the entire first half and I'm like, the Hawks are getting there, getting to their spots too, though. Um, and the Bucks 
can't do anything with them in that nasty-ass drop coverage that they insist on trotting out against everybody. And it's not even personnel-dependent. Even when they bring in Portis, who is supposed to be ostensibly more athletic, so he should be able to come out more and play in more space, he's playing a drop coverage. And it's like, wait, bro, you're not 7'2", like the other guy, where it kind of makes sense to do that when they get into the lane. You're, like, conceding the shots... And when they go all the way through with dribble penetration, you're not big enough to give a great contest. I'm just like, what is this dude doing? But, right. you know, um, they, they found a way to get some stops at the end with Giannis at the five. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Took all game. Who, who would have thunk it? Oh, my <laughs> <Mahoney>. God. <laughs> the the Bucks played this whole game, really, in terms of their approach, like they were a heavy favorite. It was, mm -hmm. what can we get away with? Can we get Jeff Teague in there? Yep. Can we keep playing our drop? Can we continue to start Brooke Lopez and P.J. Tucker, even though P.J. Tucker doesn't have a natural matchup in this series like he did the last one? <laughs> right. And so, so I like again, as a game one heat check from Bud, which is basically what this amounted to, they almost got away with it. It, it just really caught up to them in the end. And I was with you, Waz, at halftime. I felt like Atlanta probably needed to adjust more than Milwaukee did. Milwaukee is, they're going to get burned by Trey Young in this series, whether they drop or not, to be honest with you. And so they were at least cutting off some of the other shooters that the Hawks have. They were hugging the corners. They were taking away some of that other stuff. But once that broke through in the third quarter and everyone started cutting and Trey started getting defenders moving, that was, that was kind of game over in terms of where the final balance came out. Yeah, the Hawks do a great job of just applying constant pressure with their offense. They have so many different weapons. They could just put up points on you so quickly that like, especially for a team like Milwaukee, which will go through these big droughts and you wonder what's happening. The Hawks can just keep gaining ground, keep gaining ground, keep putting pressure on you to keep trying stuff, to, to second guess what you're doing. And I thought the most telling thing from this entire game was the, I think it was the second quarter interview with Mike Budenholzer, where the sideline reporter basically asked like, yo, what, what are you going to do? Trey's going off. Are you going to change anything you're doing? He's like, yeah, yeah, we need to cover Trey, but we need to make sure we're stopping everybody else. And that's what I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> this guy thinks of his coverages like religion. And he goes into this game <laughs> with a game plan and says, well, you know what? Trey can get his, but we need to shut off everybody else. But when Trey is getting 37 after three quarters, I think you really need to stop and, and look yourself in the mirror. And that's the problem with Bud. He just doesn't do that until the last possible second. But that part, that part of the strategy, I don't think is bad basketball. Like if you want to approach it as we're going to let Trey get his to an extent and we're going to try to shut off everyone else. I think that's kind of how they have to play. Because even if you put Giannis at the five, you don't want him showing out super high on Trey every time down the floor. It's exhausting for him. He's going to get in foul trouble if he does it. You need to find a way to, to mediate this stuff. And that was where, you know, like the scheme is flawed. Yes. But the execution was very flawed. Like, there's just no excuse for Brooke Lopez to be at the rim in the drop. You get him at the free throw line in the drop. Like, there are, there are levels to this stuff that the Bucks need to explore. <laughs> there's, there's levels to the drop, right? Like, you can have a drop, a drop top hatchback Civic, <laughs> or you can have a Bentley. <laughs> um, these guys have neither. And, and, and the problem is, to me, with what they're doing... And it's been the Bucks' problem the whole time. It's they don't do it according to situation, right? Like there was a possession at the end where, look, 
Say what you want. They finally put Giannis at the five, and Trey took like what felt like 20 straight 40-foot pull-up threes because he just didn't want to attack Giannis. And then, so Nate calls a timeout. He says, you know what? Next time Giannis is on you, switches on to you, we're going to call another screen so that we can get the switch that we actually want, right? Guess what, Bucks? You need to tell Giannis, don't switch off of Trey Young when you're on him. Don't do that. That needs to be the wrinkle. Like, it can't just be this one-size-fits-all, oh, we're switching everything now. No, we're switching into matchups that we find to be favorable for us, not them. We don't just switch just to switch and let them dictate which matchup they get to have. And that's what I think is the problem with the Bucks and how Budenholzer operates. I think when you first get into a situation with a bunch of young guys, you do want to simplify it. You do want to make it like, this is the defense all the time. So when you actually execute it, we know when you did it. When you mess up, we can hold you accountable. And that's what we do. But when you have a team that has championship aspirations, this whole one-size-fits-all thing, that has to go out the window. Players and teams are too good, too smart. They're too invested in beating what you do. Um, and I thought that's what burnt them tonight. That team is, is the Hawks. <laughs> right? The Hawks are that young team. But for yeah. some reason, the Bucks keep finding yeah. ways yes. to play like that. And Rob, I agree with you that like you don't want Giannis running through uh, all those like screens and, and, and switching and, and really burning himself the all on the defense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I get that. But at the same time, if the margins are so slim and the Hawks are hanging in there, then you're kind of counting on your offense to carry you. And as we've seen so many times, the Bucks just like kind of stall out. Chris Middleton in this game was atrocious. And while Drew Holiday finally showed up and was glad, I was glad to see it, they just don't have that type of offense where they could just land a knockout punch and then we can go move on to game two. There's always something there that the other team keeps hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. And like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just like, I think you have to play like it's game seven all the time now. Well, and the reason the margins are so small is because Trey is really damn good. I mean, just watch if, if, <laughs> yes. like, if, if you if you want to run this game back and rewatch it, I would encourage you to just watch him before he gets to the screen. How much shake he's given Drew Holiday before they even get to the screen. Drew's one of the best on ball defenders in the NBA. And I mean, he was lost he's enough. He's one of the best on ball defenders ever. Yeah. And he, <laughs> and, and he was lost enough that Trey could take a full eight-second shimmy into a three. <laughs> what happened That's how much there, space he was getting. Well, Drew, ju Drew just bought the other way. He tried to, he tried to, I think he tried to either cut under or sneak between right, uh, and Trey in the screen. Yeah, and just got caught. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Trey Young was incredible in this awesome. game. Awesome. The off-the-backboard lob to Collins was one of the best plays I have ever fucking seen in a playoff <laughs> game. Like, this dude is, like, I always say that the difference between a Steph LeBron and all the other superstars is those guys play like something that you want to watch as opposed to like a, a Marvel movie, right? They right. are entertainment. They are what you go and pay to see. Trey is becoming that guy before our eyes. And I'm glad you mentioned LeBron because this was LeBron-esque in the sense that I'm controlling every single possession and every amazing look that's generated aside from the ones that my man Werther was generating in the third quarter. Because, man, I'm, I'm becoming a bigger fan of that dude as the game goes on just because of his ball skills, et cetera, et cetera. But that's besides the point. He controlled everything when it comes to setting up the teammates, um, understanding who needed to be set in the pick, where on the court it needed to be set. Just... His, his sort of spatial recognition for his floater, like understanding exactly 
when he needs to release it to get it off in the way that he needs. Like there was one point where he got one off on the baseline where Lopez, this guy is freaking huge. Trey Young is a pretty small man in comparison. Lopez arms is stretched all the way out and the ball just floats right over his fingertips. (laughs) I'm like, this guy is a genius. Yeah. (laughs) Rob, do you want to do a a quick funeral for your guy, Chris Middleton? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very, very tough game for Chris Middleton. I, I mean, I think it's inexplicable in the sense that sometimes these shots are going to go for him and sometimes they're not. Um, I will say in these playoffs, he's been the guy who's kind of tasked with chasing the off-ball shooter in every series. It's been Duncan Robinson. It's been those guys, you know, for the Nets as well. And in this one, it was him chasing Herter around screens. I don't know if he's just feeling it in his legs a little bit, but this was this was not a good Chris Middleton game, especially... To get a, a look that clean at the end of the game, a look that was that good from three, and it, you know the Bucks should have solved things before then, but that's about as good as you can ask for in that moment. Yeah. So how are we feeling about our Bucks going forward here? On the one hand, this was a travesty. On the other hand, they did kind of find something late here, and you have to wonder if Bud can just like step outside of himself, maybe put away the Jeff Teague minutes just for a little bit, maybe, maybe limit them to two minutes at most just to, to get your jollies off here. Uh, like they, they do have a outline for success, right? I would still think they win the series. And for me, what, what emboldens me to say that is if you look in that fourth quarter, Mm -hmm. how many pick and roll dunks Giannis got in a row, Mm -hmm. they just kept going to it and going to it and going to it. And they were just making hay with that kind of action and we saw variations of that throughout the game when Middleton and Holiday were handling the ball and Giannis screening. They were just getting great stuff. And if you're able to, again, at least contain Trey a little bit more effectively, the other, the non-Trey Young Hawks went four for 19 from three in this game. That is a winnable formula for you. You just need to hold Trey to 36 points instead of 40-something <laughs> points. You know, that that's really it. That's a lot harder than it seems, though. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. And, and Trey Young, by the way, he's a walking adjustment himself. He's making adjustments on the fly to what defenses are trying to do to him, not even just game by game, possession by possession, quarter by quarter, he's making his own adjustments. So I think he's going to watch what happened tonight and figure out different ways to attack. And again, I did pick the Hawks to win this series because I thought, man, I'm not going to lie, I felt like a genius three and a half quarters into this thing. I was like, <laughs> they can't stop the Hawks. They cannot stop what they're trying to do offensively. And it's not just what, um, it's not just when, when Trey has the ball. It's when Herder has the ball, too. It's um, Gallinari uh, finding mismatches to exploit so he can give them a, re- um, a pressure release valve at times as well. I'm like, man, they have the Bucks defense figured out. They're going to score at will against them. And then that Giannis at the five happened. I'm like, man. This is tough because Trey doesn't he 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 doesn't even want to shoot over Giannis, much less attack him. He attacked him the one time finally at the end. He attacked him off the dribble, got to the paint, got his floater off, it looped in and out, and that's when Capella got to put back and put them up and whatever. But I think you know if because here's the problem, guys. Like if this were Eric Spolstra or if this were my man Ty Lue or if this were a myriad of other coaches, Rick Carlisle. We know Giannis is probably starting the game at the five, game two. Uh, He's probably playing 45 of his minutes at the five. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're matching up his minutes to Trey Young. They're doing the entire thing that you're supposed to do when your freaking life and season is on the line. Do we know that the Bucs are going to do that? No. And so I still have hope. 
for my pick. <laughs> I think you I think Waz, you made a great point about Trey being kind of a living adjustment in a way that other superstars are. And that's to me the big difference between him and someone like Giannis. And really a reason why the Bucks are flawed in this way and why we talk about Mike Budenholzer so much because Milwaukee is a team that has to kind of stop and recalibrate. They have to shift gears. They need a timeout. They need like they need to go to the bench and reorganize and then they can change their approaches. Whereas someone like Trey is going to pick you apart on the fly in the way that the great creators do. And the Bucs don't have that. Giannis is not that kind of player. Drew Holiday is not that kind of player. And so it just takes a lot more uh, mental gear shifting to get to the places they need to in terms of lineups, in terms of approach. And that really cost them in this one. It's like a train. You need to like go through all this effort to switch tracks, whereas <laughs> Trey Young is just doing donuts on a speed bike out there. <laughs> I will say, though, like they have the, the capability. I mean, they showed it late Absolutely. in the game. They do have the personnel to do it. Um, I do think that there is a lot of uncharted territory for the Bucks to expose the Hawks as well here. I'm still confused how Trey Young doesn't really get picked on as much as you think on defense. Like That, that still just kind of blows my mind that there hasn't been one game this entire playoffs where it's like, Oh, Chris Middleton put up 60 because all he did was call for switches and he got Trey Young and he just drove him to the basket, right? And you also have to wonder, like, where were the attacking on Bogdan Bogdanovich? He did not look right from opening nope. tip. Yeah. Uh, credit to, to Zach Aaron in our chat room for pointing this out here. I wonder, like, if that is another option here, where if you just go at Trey and go at Bogdanovich in this next game and just don't worry about everything else. Well, we saw some of the Bogdanovich with the way the Bucks were playing pick and roll because he was getting hung up on screens and that was part of what was getting Giannis to the rim. The Trey thing, I mean, if you're going to start P.J. Tucker, he's going to stand with P.J. Tucker in the corner. That's why, to me, that is the bigger adjustment than Lopez is they need to take Tucker out of the starting lineup. They need to match him up with Gallo's minutes as best they can and they need to get either Connaughton or Forbes into that starting group so you can just get a little more motion on Trey make him make him move and guard someone a little bit more. Yeah, and, you know, I, I coming into this, because Brooklyn got to Game 7 with KD and a bunch of dudes and James Harden on one leg on defense. They stopped the Bucs, right? Uh, I, I, I had no illusions that Atlanta would make things right by what they were doing on defense. Uh, I think they have to... They got some things to worry about. Without DeAndre Hunter or even Cam Reddish, as far as, like, bigger active wing bodies that you could throw into switching defenses, right? Stop letting the Bucks play conventional pick and roll offense. That's what they want to do. I think Brooklyn was able to muck things up because they did switch everything and they did turn Drew Holiday into a constant one-on-one guy, right? Where he's taking five step backs, step backs a game from out to 25 feet. The, the Hawks don't really have the personnel to be very switchy right now, which I think the Bucks are so freaking lucky that <laughs> two of their wings are out because if they were switching everything on defense, I honestly think this series would be done. Forcing yeah. these guys to play one-on-one -on -one all series long. You know, they, they would find a way to get just enough offense, but they, they just don't have the bodies right now. But I still, listen, man, I, I, I will never underestimate the Bucks' ability to screw something up. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we're actually getting a question from the chat right now from Solomon Hill for Waz asking why you got to forget me. Why you got to be like that? Nah, I cannot. <laughs> Solomon Hill, man. Some of the shots he took. I, look, I like his moxie. You know, he's definitely, obviously, he's not afraid of the moment that's out there, but it's, he's just he's just not a guy anymore, right? And you can't count on him for defense. And you, I don't know that you ever could count on him for shot making, despite that weird contract he got the one time. Um, you you know, I, I just don't think they have the horses on the wings because if I'm telling you guys, if they were able to turn this into a switching series and force them to play in the half court one-on-one all the time, because Giannis did, that's another thing. Giannis got a bunch of his transition stuff. He got a bunch of his alley-oop finishes. He got the stuff that Giannis needs to get to compile his points, right? He didn't have to play in the half court all that often. So I think if you force this team to play in the half court, and go one-on-one and beat you one-on-one, that's where they could be had. Yeah, I don't know, though. Like, the Hawks can just score so much. that like they, We never expected them to win this series on defense, right? We just assumed that they could put up points, and I'm looking at the rosters, and even though both teams didn't shoot three particularly well, like... The Hawks can put four shooters out there that you have to respect. And while I'm watching the Bucks on offense, it's just like, if I want to slump off of like half of these guys, I'm going to do it. Like Drew Holiday is not the type of shooter that's going to put like the fear of God in you. PJ Tucker can't really shoot that much anymore. Brooke Lopez is like that one amazing season he had from three is like two seasons ago at this point. And so I'm just like packing the paint. Like Giannis got way too much in this game. And yet he still didn't get enough because he's going to have to dominate like that. And he's going to have to get these guys open looks for it to happen. I don't know. I'm just, I'm worried if I'm the Bucks that like the Hawks are going to keep doing this over and over again. And the Bucks are the team until, and they're going to have the pressure on them. I think where it could change is if you get into one of those games where Trey just isn't converting jumpers and floaters at this level. Because then once he starts missing some shots and those other guys aren't even touching the ball because the Bucks are sticking to them, then every long pull-up Trey Young three starts pick, you know, it starts eating at some guy in the in the back of their head. They start, you know, they start wanting to get involved. They start, you know, chirping at each other a little bit. That's kind of what the drop coverage is good at, honestly, is is kind of getting a team to turn on itself a little bit if mm-hmm. the guy with the ball can't hit the shots. Trey's good enough that he can hit him enough to beat you in a series, but there are gonna be games in, in this matchup where he doesn't, at least not at this level every time. Yeah, the bet that a lot of teams as playoffs keep making is that Trey can't be prime Jordan. And like nine times out of 10, (laughs) at least on offense, he's been absolutely incredible. Like if you're building your entire defense around it, well, maybe Trey won't put up 50 points on me this game. Like that's a bad bet. I would not be taking that bet anymore. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. 
All right, let's uh, let's pivot here now. We're going to talk about some off-season news because this stuff is starting to burble as we go along through the playoffs. A lot of teams are starting to flip to the summer and what they could do in free agency. Uh, we need to have the Ben Simmons conversation or the coda to the five podcast long Ben Simmons conversation. <laughs> but I, I want to start with the Celtics because uh, they were in the news today. They hired Emi Adoka uh, from the... He's with the Nets now. He last with the Nets, was with the Sixers, was with Pop. Uh, in San Antonio before that. Uh, Rob, what do you think about this hire? Do you know much about Doku's background and like what he could potentially bring to the Celtics team? I mean, he's immensely well-respected in the NBA um, among players, among coaches. He was a guy who honestly I thought was going to get a chance at a head job coming out of San Antonio. So he is he has waited his turn. He has done the interviews. This is a great job for him. I, I really like the fit, to be honest with you. I think to me, more importantly than anything, uh, I heard from one source, Barrier, that um, <laughs> that this is uh, Jalen Brown really likes this dude. Uh, he was he was pushing for him behind the scenes. They had a working relationship at Team USA camp, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, thinks really highly of just his basketball acumen, his sort of emotional intelligence stuff. So Jalen Brown likes him. Although, you know, not that I think this would be a problem. Tatum was angling for Chauncey Billups because, hmm. you know, apparently Ty Lue and Jason Tatum were cousins. I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, they're cousins. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, you know, the, the Ty Lue, Chauncey, Tatum thing, Tatum uh. was really into the idea of get, having Chauncey on board because, you know, people that he really trusts, really love uh, Chauncey Billups. So I'm interested to see how that works out. But, you know, if the if your main guys are on board with the hire, that's all that really matters to me right now. Because obviously they were sick of listening to Brad Stevens yap about, you know, getting in a defensive stance. Yeah, Chauncey Billups, a lot of favorite, a lot of your favorite players, favorite coaching candidate right now. Yes. I, hope, I hope we mm -hmm. get a chance to see it. We need a drop whenever Waz drops sources say on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a like a harp playing. <laughs> um, no, but you're right, though. I mean, he, he does have the experience with these guys. He was, as Waz alluded to, he was an assistant under Pop on Team USA when they went to the World Championship uh, in China a couple years ago. So Tatum, Brown, Smart all played with him. Kemba did too, but oops, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I do want to talk about Kemba, actually, though, because this podcast hasn't talked about the fallout from the trade, him going to Oklahoma City, Al Horford, Moses Brown, uh, the internet's favorite new player, uh, going back to the Celtics. Uh, Rob, do you have any just sense of what you think of this trade or how are you feeling about the Celtics offseason altogether at this point? I'm not sure it makes them demonstrably better. And to me, it's a bet on the idea that when the dust clears at the end of free agency and there's going to be some teams left with cap space, that you couldn't trade Kemba Walker to those teams. That's essentially what the Celtics are betting. I don't know that I believe that. I think that this, this particular free agent market is very weird in terms of the way it's laid out. There aren't a lot of super high-level guys who are going to be demanding of a lot of money. I feel like you could get this deal in a couple months if you wanted it. And so why are we doing it now? Well, you know, my man Jared Weiss put out a, a big old piece over at The Athletic about just the tensions that existed between certain players and Brad Stevens. And if Kemba's unhappy and he's letting the entire world know that, and he's on a bum knee, and he's owed like a trillion dollars, I, I, I get it. You know, it's kind of like, let's just wipe our hands clean of the toxicity. Brad Stevens clearly loves Al Horford to death. 
right? So it's an opportunity to be re reunited with somebody who Brad Stevens is a big fan of. And yeah, I think the Kemp, like, look, as a New York City guy, I'll never say anything bad about Kemba Walker because he's literally the last of the Mohicans when it comes to <laughs> New York City hoopers. <laughs> That's but right. Waz, didn't you just relay a negative story about Kemba Walker? Is that, is like, that, is that negative? It's not fucking with Brad Stevens negative? <laughs> well, what is he, the Pope? Like, well, how's that president. negative? He's you the president. Said, I think what you just said was get the toxicity out of the locker room, which <laughs> well, that sounds negative. No, but toxicity has to flow both ways, it's right? Fair, like Brad Stevens doesn't, does, obviously doesn't that's mess with That's just science, him. Rob. It flows <laughs> both ways, man. <laughs> you know, so the, obviously things weren't working karmically and spiritually and I get that right so it makes sense to move on and just be like all right this chapter's closed and again what I was trying to say about Kemba is like he's clearly been diminished by his injuries for the past like two years now so again you're making max money uh you're injured I can understand getting off that contract and Al Horford's deal isn't even fully guaranteed so I I, yeah. I understand the move yeah, I'm kind of aligned with Rob here because I do wonder if like Kemba goes through the OKC car wash, like he has his time in the spa or whatever therapeutic uh, oils and essential oils that they give to their players in order to refurbish them and send them out back into the world, <laughs> most likely to land back with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I do wonder if we'll look back on this and say that Brad sold pretty low on Kemba. Like he's hurt. And obviously the Celtics know way more about his injury status than anybody else. But there is a possibility. There is a timeline here where like maybe Brad, the coach is overrating that he saw this up close and personal and he's, he's using that to influence his opinion, thinking that he needs to dump him immediately when I don't know, maybe Kemba plays decently this season. And all of a sudden, like you just stockpiled your roster with a lot of big, the flip side of that, of course, is like maybe there's another move coming, right? Like they have what four centers now? Horford probably best at center at this point in his career. Moses Brown again is the D'Anthony Melton love affair of the uh, internet. So, I, but I don't know how much he's going to play. Tristan Thompson, Robert Williams, the guy who I thought was the love affair of the internet, still there. So there's a lot of bigs there. So I, I there needs to be another move. Will it come? I don't know. You know what? I think I've I think I've come around on this, Rob, because. I just remembered that the OKC Thunder got something for Russell Westbrook and that awful contract. So anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Sasha sends us a comment from one Juan Torres. Uh, what's the most likely Chauncey spot? If he's not going to go to the Celtics, you've heard him rumored with Portland. Yeah. seems like he's interviewing a lot of different places. Um, Waz, what are the streets saying? What do your sources say about where Chauncey's going to end up? Uh, Streets, honestly, just saying that he wants the Bucks job. Uh, definitely heard that. But, you know, <laughs> he's dependent on Trey T.L. and um, <laughs> the Red Mamba to get it done for him. So we'll see if that's able to, to happen. But I don't see how you wouldn't want the Bucks job, right? It seems like they're the closest to getting to to being a, a championship stalwart of all the other jobs. Like, they're obviously the closest. They're, they're the last team standing, like, literally. And, you know, just the pieces that they have. Giannis is under contract, signed a big five-year deal. That would be the most desirable job to anyone should it come open. So it would be it would stand to reason that Chauncey, not being an idiot, would be like, 
that's probably where I should want to coach, especially because you get to rack up the wins and your resume looks nice and shiny and polished and you're guaranteed to get that next deal when you land one of these plus jobs right out the gate. And it sounds like, it, you know, barring that, he'll probably end up in Portland, I would think. And it's, you know, it sounds like that's a front office and ownership that are a bit divided in terms of who they want to see between him and Becky Hammond in particular. Mike D'Antoni was also a finalist for that job. He seems mm. like kind of a distant third behind those two right now, but we'll see. So, I, I mean, if I had to if I had to put my money on anything, it would be Chauncey ending up in Portland at this point, just because I think Bud might have bought himself a little time, but maybe we're speaking too soon. Mm. I wonder if Chauncey would do well in the New Orleans job too. Like, that's the growth opportunity. If you just figure out what's going on down there, like you're set for the next five years and you've attached yourself with the next budding superstar in this league. I'm but ready for the I'm, I'm ready for the Ty Lu coaching tree. I'm I'm ready for that to start. But the but they but they've also fired two coaches in two years. Right. Like as a coach, I gotta look at that like, well, actually, I gotta look at that like I get paid to leave. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> right. Like who yeah. knows? In, in years past, the Pelicans haven't been willing to pay a premium, too. I mean, that's partially why they ended up with Elton Gentry a few years ago. Um, all right, let's let's flip to Ben Simmons here now. Just Justin, always with the with the Pelican shade. I love it. It's, it's like <laughs> clockwork. That's all I have, <laughs> they've man. Been, they've been cheap forever. <laughs> <laughs> you are what you are, man. All right, Ben Simmons. Good God, what a what a bottoming out here. Even since we were dragging him last week, um, Waz has had his wax, but I can't can already tell you're just ready to jump here. Just go no, ahead, man. No, honestly, it's, it's some of the uh, some of the stats that have come out about Danny Green taking more fourth quarter shots than him in a series that he played like one fourth quarter in, and like the crazy stats or whatever. Like he's not as bad as he looked in this series against the Hawks, right? Like, we know that's not the case. And so now you get to a point where how do you evaluate this guy's true value when he's coming off of just, like, I don't think, like, some, and this is a question I would like to pose to you guys because everybody kind of knows where I'm at on Ben Simmons. I think he's a glorified role guy. I don't know why we talk about him like he's some generational, life-changing superstar because if he was, they'd have beat the damn Hawks. Um... <laughs> Your Hawks. <laughs> My Hawks, exactly. Yeah. But I want to ask you guys, though, like, is it possible for Ben Simmons' trade value to get worse? Because I think it is. Really? Okay, Oof. so this is actually the conversation I wanted to have because I'm looking out here on the landscape. I'm looking at what the Sixers need, which is a ready-made star to handle the ball more, to score at a level that Ben Simmons isn't. And I'm thinking to myself... Which team is going to give that guy up for Ben Simmons after what we just saw? Which team is even in a position to? Like, which team is, yes. is looking at Ben Simmons, even if you're in a rebuilding situation, and saying, we're ready to take on not just him, but his contract to move forward? You mean the right. Warriors wouldn't want to give up Clay Thompson for Ben Ooh. Simmons? <laughs> no, it's, you know, the, but, this, but this is my thing, though. Um, Joel basically, and I'm dating myself here, but he basically DJ Jazzy Jeffed him in front of the bus. <laughs> like he just tossed this dude right under the damn bus after that game. Like it was savage and vicious what he did to Ben Simmons. So it's like, what kind of working environment are they going to have in Philadelphia next year if they bring Ben back? The coach killed him, then tried to backtrack, but he smoked him. 
Then, and Joel completely sp- smoked him. And that's like, Joel, it felt like in that moment was like, look, this ain't about this game. I've been doing this for years with this dude. There was times where in, as far as the pecking order of this franchise, they were making me on even footing with this fool. And he won't take a wide open dunk with our damn lives on the line. I'm killing his ass in this post game. So I'm like, how do you bring him back into that and expect that he's going to flourish in that when we just watched him sort of have a meltdown? Here's, here's how that works out is that you have just shamed Ben Simmons mm. to the point where he cannot do anything else. I mm. think there is so much fucking pressure on this guy now that if he, he does not spend his entire summer not hanging out with whatever like Jenner Kardashian family <laughs> is available at this point. Can't wait to see him at the lolly this summer. <laughs> <laughs> but, but going into the gym and actually working on just a corner three. Like, I know you've done it before, but you need to step on the court next season, wherever you are, and at the very least be able to shoot, be willing to shoot a corner three-pointer. And if he does not do that, then it's irrevocable. Like, this will never be solved no matter where he goes. But I do wonder if he has been guilted to the point where he has to do that. And I also wonder if the Sixers, given this conversation that's going on now, will find it tough to trade him for the type of player that they need in return. Yeah, I think even if he does it, we're closer to the reality where everyone tries to save face and come into next season in the hopes of moving him before the deadline. In the hopes that you can have a couple of months where he can hit some shots or look a little better or people can just forget about the playoffs a little bit before the deadline. I think honestly think that's ben what they're Simmons, playing guys, for at this point. Guys, guys, Ben Simmons is not going to make shots next year. This is a project that the goal should be two and three years down the line. Ben Simmons can make a reliable 15, 16 footer. He's not going to be Carl Malone off of pick and pops <laughs> next yeah. season. That's right. not happening. Get that out of your brains. So He's his gonna, third contract, he'll actually be able to hit a jumper. I think so. That's what yeah. they need to be working towards. Because I think somebody who's instructive of this is Blake Griffin, where his range, he slowly built it out to where he can make a three in a respectable manner now. But he didn't just go from, you know, being the guy who everybody felt like was this unskilled, just super athletic dunker to making threes in the mid-30s, you know, at his best, right? Like, he didn't start doing that. It was 17-footers, 16-footers. Then he's coming out to 18. Now he's going out to three. Like, he had to build that thing up from the bottom. Ben Simmons has to do the same thing. He's not going to be making corner threes next year. He's not going to be Bruce Bowen next year, y'all. Like, that's that's out of the question. That's why I'm like, he's not going to come in. He's not going to come into the same ecosystem and context in Philly than be some radically changed player next year. That's why I'm like, yo, this thing could get worse before it gets better. Did you guys see this clip going around? Uh, Your own Weitzman had it in his piece at Fox Sports of Ben Simmons' first summer league and the shots he was taking. Mm-hmm. I felt I felt like my entire life had been a lie watching <laughs> watching him take pull up jumpers off the dribble like it was nothing. It was unreal. Yeah, <laughs> things have definitely changed. That's for sure. Um, I've been spending my free time as because I'm a really cool guy, uh, just like <laughs> tr- trying to look at the type of trades that they could work. And mm-hmm. the I keep seeing reports that like there are going to be more teams interested than you think, and yada yada. And like I don't know, man. The pool just seems so restrictive because they fall into really two groups, as I was kind of alluding to before: the players that the Sixers would want and the type of players that they need, and the players that they could probably get. 
right? Like Bradley Beal, you're not, you're probably not getting unless he forces his way out. And in particular, he forces his way to the Sixers. Michael Porter Jr. doesn't make much sense. SGA, like maybe if the Thunder were just completely enamored with Ben Simmons and they, they could maybe work something there, but I don't think you're giving up on SGA. And he also wasn't too great last postseason. Brandon Ingram, same thing. You don't want to pair Zion with Ben, which brings me to the guy that I think makes the most sense here. And that's Zach Levine. Mm. I do think if you're trying to make a marriage here work, I wonder if Levine is the type of scorer now where he would fit into what you need around Joel, whereas the Bulls are at the point where maybe they'd be lucky to reboot with a star that they haven't been able to get through the draft. Waz, what do you think about that? I, I think if I'm the Bulls and I don't want to pay Zach Levine the 200 mil why? Why do I want Ben Simmons? I I, I don't. I, I'm I'm watching the playoffs. I'm seeing the Red Mamba get busy in the playoffs. These type of players that can go out and get their own shot against high level quality NBA talent. They matter in this part of the calendar, in this part of the season. How can I make the calculation that Zach Levine isn't worth my paper? But trading stuff for Ben Simmons makes sense. I, I just, I, I, I would, I would hang up the phone so quick, and then I change my number. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've reached the point where Zach Levine is too good. I, yep. I've seen, I've seen this. Really? This, it, yeah. I've, I've yeah. seen this trade bounced around. I mean, the Sixers would be lucky to get Levine at this point. I think. But he's also a free agent. He's going to be a free agent after the season, I believe. So there could be a leverage play, but that's assuming a lot, obviously. That really is the only variable, but Waz just hit it on the head. Like if you if you really are hesitant about Levine's next contract, I don't really see the value in paying Ben Simmons 30, 33, 35 million dollars a year. That doesn't make any sense. It's the problem with so many of these situations, which is Simmons is now on a contract that makes him a bit prohibitive to a rebuild. And he's clearly... A fall, such a flawed player, he's not going to get you to a conference finals type series. So it, put, it puts you in a very limited window of teams you're talking about. Basically teams that would be comfortable with a first or second round exit, who want to make, who are desperate to make the playoffs, who want to make the playoffs. Ben Simmons could be your guy. Great regular season player. He just has so much to figure out to be an effective postseason one. Right. So let's go through those teams now. We're talking about who? Portland? Probably not, because you're probably getting CJ, not Dame, unless again some like someone just, forces something just to the, happen. The, the idea, yeah, okay. Uh, Dame saying y'all don't y'all didn't get my right coach in here. I'm no longer you know Portland till I die. Get me to Philly right now. Okay, that makes sense. A, a unhappy superstar sort of forcing the hand, but like just on the merits <laughs> this is that's insane <laughs> don't disagree uh you would probably have to just unload a ton of picks there too because you also have teams like the thunder just looming who are just going to be like here's 15 picks just give us damian lillard mm. and like the, the blazers aren't going to say no to that unless they really want to do right by their star is there a permutation of the cj mccollum trade where it's cj mccollum and some other stuff like, is there a version of that that makes sense for the Sixers where it's McCollum and a sign and traded Norm Powell, for example? Like, is that enough? They're saying, they're saying McConnell and Covington. Sixers I mean, legend Rob Covington. Yeah. <laughs> he just gets thrown into every trade uh, rumor. Ever. Yeah, because yeah. his contract is, is so cheap. Right. 
I think people are going to start putting packages together, though, that we don't realize right now. Because I sure. think right now it's very... He's... He's he's looking terrible right now, right? He he looks he's looking like a depressed asset right now. But I think teams are gonna, you know, free agency and the draft and all of the trades that happen around that. And then some teams are gonna miss out on things that they wanted to have. And there's gonna be this guy who's still as flawed a player as he is. He's still very talented, and talent is king in this league. So I think we, they're gonna get some good stuff. But right now, man, I, I yo, man, Habistro been putting out some stats on this boy. Oh my goodness. I was just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Not a lot of big numbers there. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing about Simmons too is for how polarizing he is, there's there's one person in every front office in the NBA who loves Ben Simmons. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and if, and if it, if it's the right person or or if that person's persuasive enough, then maybe something gets done. Everyone has a guy. I kind of want to see him end up in San Antonio. Like I couldn't figure out how the trade math would work there because it would probably have to be like DeJounte Murray plus Derek White or some of these other guys that they have kicking around here. But I don't know if that's enough to get the Sixers interested. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, we're going to take some questions here. Adam Glaugauer asks, Waz, this one is for you. Who do the Knicks target in the offseason for a trade? I think the Nick dream is is Brad Beal. I think he's the splashiest name. He's the guy I think Knicks fans would be most excited about. I think the Knicks got to stand pat and pray that the Dame thing doesn't work out. And Dame forces his way to New York. And I because I think that, while not making them, you know, some type of juggernaut, a contender, that is a real team that is a real thing in the garden with the fans and all of that. I think they should just chill. Cause look, you oh, like sometimes you gotta accept you're overachieving for what it is, right? Like we've all gotten with girls, guys, and gals that we were like, how do we do that? We didn't go out <laughs> the next day and DM Rihanna. We just said, yo, 
How did we do that? Oh my yeah. goodness. I'm so lucky that that happened. And we move on with our lives, realizing that we got a little lucky. The stars were aligned and things happened for us. I think the Knicks need to look at themselves like that in a very honest fashion. Like, yes, you made the four seed in the weirdest NBA season ever. We get it. And your guys play really hard. And Julius Randle is a competent player, borderline, actual all-star type of guy, right? Those are nice things to have. You ain't the Hawks, okay? <laughs> you You're not the Hawks at yeah. all. You know we're close to the Hawks. So just keep moving in the direction that you can get to be the Hawks one day. The way those conversations intersect, though, about Dame and Brad Beal, though, is going to be really interesting. Waz, I think you hit it where the chilling effect of what's gone on in Portland on the Brad Beal market, potentially, if you're one of those suitors, you have to wait. You have to wait to see if, if Dame comes available. He's just a different class of player mm -hmm. than Brad Beal is right now. So whether it's the Knicks or any of these other teams that have superstar dreams, uh, Dame is worth waiting for. Yeah, that's the problem with some of these teams. There really aren't many superstars you know you could hit your wagon to and your franchise's destiny is completely changed forever. Like, why would you settle for a B-level guy if you were the Knicks? You took all this time to do it the right way for once. Would you really, like, sacrifice everything in order to, like, get D'Angelo Russell in there and so he could put up 50 oh points and give gosh. up 60 the other way? Like, that is my worry with the Knicks, but I it seems like they're prudent enough these days that they're not going to do it. Um, one last question here on off-season stuff. This is from James Shenher. Uh, he says, where should Mike Conley go? Conley is a free agent, I believe, this summer. Uh, he was making a ton of money up until now. Uh, Rob, do you think he would consider leaving Utah, especially after what we just saw, for another place? I kind of think he'll end up staying. And I mean, frankly, Utah's playoff fate could have been very different if he was healthy yeah. and, and, if, and if Mitchell was healthy. Like we're talking about that team as if it's fatally flawed and, you know, Gobert versus small ball is its own thing that needs to be addressed, but they they weren't functional. Like they weren't a functional team in the way they were during the regular season. So I think uh, Conley has seemed very happy there. And he there are even uh, some stories in the middle of the season where he was talking about how happy he was going to be to resign. So I would fully expect him to be back. Yeah, I don't I don't know why people are panicking on the Jazz. I like you had a great season. You have a great player, obviously great player in Donovan Mitchell. As much as people kept blaming stuff on Rudy, um excuse me, Reggie Jackson was blowing by people off the dribble with no resistance whatsoever. That's not a Rudy thing. Excuse me, like I'm sorry, you had one competent wing defender the whole night, like they, were, you guys were getting smoked, and also like as as great of a story as Terrence Mann is, the guy made five. He's, he's dropped forty in the game that sent you home. His career high in college was thirty. He scored. He hit five threes his sophomore year in college. The whole <laughs> right. year, he hit five threes in that game or on that third quarter or something. Like the circumstances seemed kind of extraordinary that kicked you out of the playoffs, right? So. I would, man, if I'm Utah, I'm bringing my team back. I like my team, especially if we could just, you know, withstand the sort of war of attrition when it comes to injuries, et cetera, et cetera. You got to like your team as much as damn near anybody else's if you're Utah, especially when you're Utah and it's not like you'll ever be an AD candidate. You'll ever be like dames like, yo, get me to Utah or you'll never be one of those guys, right? So this to me, this is close to the ideal of what you're going to get as a Utah Jazz. Uh, um, save for 
doing something like what OKC had achieved when they had Westbrook, Harden, Ibaka, et cetera, all through the draft. Unless you um, hit lightning in a bottle, catch lightning in a bottle, excuse me, I'm so terrible at these damn phrases. <laughs> as, unless you catch lightning in a bottle like that, this is the best you're going to do as a Utah Jazz. Yeah, if I'm jazz, if I'm the Jazz or Conley, my takeaway from the season is Donovan Mitchell is that dude. Like that is a guy I am comfortable hitching my my career, my years, my future too. He he was awesome when he was healthy. Is he? I I was very impressed. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, impressive playoffs, but I think we're getting a little overboard and like starting to give campaign a max contract and acting like Terrence Mann chill, is like chill, the, chill, the chill. second coming of uh, of small Draymond here, man. It's it's getting a little overboard. Like like if we're taking a step back and like recalibrating what we just saw in the playoffs, like that is one of them. Mitchell's good. I don't think he's like, I don't think he's like elite level type A sort of guys. Why are we pooling Donovan Mitchell with campaign and Terrence Mann? <laughs> How just, that it's disrespectful. It's, How dis- that it's just blatant disrespect. I think Mitchell has shown that, you know, I think he could get to the level that Trey Young has shown you that he's gotten to on a night to night basis, right? When he's right. Like he makes your offense matter and he makes it so that you'll never just be having quarters worth of terrible postseason offense, right? When he's right. And I think that's important. That's a very valuable player. And you got some nice pieces around you. Uh, I don't know. I'm still, I was bullish on Utah last year. Uh, The Conley thing never gelled the way it was supposed to in year one. Year two, I was bullish again. And they were great, right? The best team in the regular season. I'm still high on the guys that they have. I think... If everything aligns right, they can be just as powerful as most of the teams in the West, the top teams. Yeah. I mean, they definitely have something here. My two concerns are, I'm actually not concerned about Mitchell. I actually think like his progress as a deep three-point shooter has, has kind of been it's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know if he's that dude, but he's he's a dude. You know, he's a dude you could definitely win with. Um, I'm Is he more... the dude? <laughs> no, he's a dude. <laughs> okay. He's on dude. Um, French. Uh, <laughs> I think my concern is that the existential dread of what happened to Rudy this postseason starts to seep in to like the the couch here. And it's something that's plagued them the past couple postseasons. This isn't just a one-time blip. And so you start to worry about things a little bit more than you should. It's kind of reminding me of it's what I call Joe Johnson Hawks syndrome, where it's like, you got stuff, you could definitely win a lot of games, but is there a ceiling on this team? And when you start thinking about that, you start to like maybe doing too much or maybe not doing enough in order to really fix what you have. That's all. The comparisons here are just brutal. And as Waz said, disrespectful. I mean, like Donovan Mitchell's not 25 years old yet, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like... You have to, if you're Utah, you have to be banking on the idea that my guy's going to be better again next year. You know, like at whatever that is, he's going to add something more to this amazing package that he's already providing for us on a night to night basis. Like if I got a young guy who's that athletically gifted and some of the other stuff that he's getting better at is the skill stuff and the sort of veteran savvy of perfecting angles and drawing fouls like that's a really, really really impressive players. So 
I don't know. I'm I'm known for being in the tank for Donovan Mitchell, so I'm still pretty bullish on what the Jazz could do, specifically if they bring Mike Conley back. I just think he 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 was the only one that developed the true pick and roll chemistry with Rudy, and they didn't have that basically the entire postseason, you know. And so I think you bring that guy back at at a number that's like you know it's gonna sound bad. It's gonna be like three years, ninety or a hundred or something like that. But yo. If you're Utah, what do you what do you do? Well, that's concerning for two reasons. He's 33, Bog, uh, Boyan is 32, Ingles is 33. So those are going to be things you have to weigh here. And also, Rudy and Donovan alone are going to put you up against the luxury tax because both of them are making max or near max, and that's a concern that you're really going to have unless we figure out what's going on with with Dwayne Wade's willing to sp- uh, spend on this team. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, like, their new owner came in talking tough, Varier. He was like, yeah, we're going to do all the kinds of things. And they did the Rudy deal as like a show of force. Like, yo, we spending money out here. So let's see if he puts his money where his mouth is, man. Spend it to the tax. Yeah, and, and you mean how much... You mean how much Gabby Union is willing to spend on that team, right? <laughs> right yeah, right. we know she's, you know, we know she wearing the pants in that relationship for sure. Right. I caught an episode of The Cube the other night. It's a trip, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's like literally it, like throwing bouncy balls like in various ways. Like who the fuck was like on acid when they came yeah. <laughs> It was on in the background in my crib and I was just like, yeah, I'm 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 on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, uh, let's move along here. Uh, So Suns and Clippers, game three tomorrow night on Thursday. Clippers are down 0-2 yet again, Uh, and it just gets worse for them. Chris Paul looks like he's going to be back for game three. He's officially probable. Kawhi Leonard is listed as out. Uh, We haven't really heard much reporting around that situation, unless Waz wants to drop a Waz bomb here. No, I got got nothing on the Kawhi (laughs) front. Well, you know, the thing is, the Clippers are one of those organizations that's shady with the injury stuff. Like, you know they're not going to say anything. Right, and we've definitely seen people go from out to playing immediately, like James Harden <laughs> earlier. Seen. So I don't know what to to put much stock into right. the uh, injury report here. So the question is, though, if they do get CP back and the Clippers do not get Kawhi, was is this a wrap already for the Clippers? Yeah, I don't think they're gonna win the series. I'd like to see them make make something of it, though, right? And I know I'm the seven hundred millionth person in the on the internet to make the joke that the series doesn't start until the Clippers go down 0-2, but that's kind of <laughs> been the case in the playoffs so far. So you know they go back to Staples. Uh, I'm not going to lie, Game 6 was a pretty decent crowd over there. I I think they actually helped carry them in that third quarter when they were mounting the miraculous comeback. So I think they're going to have a great crowd. They're going to be juiced. Paul George's, look, man, he's it's something about not having to figure out if you're the 1A, 1B, 2, 3, whatever, now that Kawhi's gone, has kind of unleashed something in him. And, uh, you know, he's he's played great. So I think that, I think they'll be able to t- take a couple of games off of these guys. And Suns Twitter is killing me because I picked the Lakers to beat them. They were up 2-1 and was about to smoke you in game four before AD went down. Stop hitting my mentions, please, and thank you. Stop gloating about me being wrong about my Lakers pick. AD went down, fam. Um, now that I got that out the way. Uh, I, I just I just think they could get some games off of these guys. But I don't think they're going to win the series without... No, they're not winning the series. Sorry to answer the question. Yeah, Phoenix's baseline execution is just too high, even without Chris Paul. And now you get him back on top of all that. That's really hard to overcome. And, and Plus, I'm at the point, too, where with playoff P, 
less than an entity in himself. He's just like a vehicle for karmic balance. You know, like, like Pat, Pat Beverly was strutting around and then Paul George goes to the free throw line and misses two free throws. Uh, there's something, there's a greater power here that is that is harnessing him and channeling these games. And it seems to be favoring the Suns at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Pat Bev completely warped that game. It was pretty much an Australian rules football game at a certain point. And like he got it exactly where he wanted it, where Devin Booker was damaged quite literally. Uh, and like things were a little bit more physical than they needed to. He was getting the calls he wanted and to not come out with that game. Man, that's, that's brutal. But I have to say, like the Clippers have put up a fight. But but yo, but did you guys see the internet video where they're trying to say that Pat Bev made himself bleed <laughs> in order to <laughs> no. do the freaking to get the extra time? Like there's a there's a meme going around. It's like yo, Pat Bev, like he's like a mankind crazy person. just like cutting yes, his head. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shouts to Mick Foley. <laughs> Shouts to Mick Foley. No, I mean, so the one thing that I've always really liked about the Clippers and something we've talked about with them dating back to when Kawhi and Paul George first kind of joined this team was that they had such depth that they could really match up with any team, right? We talk about this all the time with other teams that you have to have the personnel in order to, to be able to conform to whatever your opponent is getting to you. And I, I have liked how they've been able to go small. Zubach, they've gone back to him. I'm not sure how effective those minutes have, have been, but he's definitely a big that you could throw out there and maybe you can take Aiton for a little bit. My concern overall is just that the Suns don't have to change who they are in order to match up to whatever the Clippers go at. Like their base starting lineup is so big enough and yet like switchable and spry and they have shooting that even with campaign in there, it just works. Like I think that's a credit to like Ryan McDonough, James Jones, all these people that put that team together. Like without Chris Paul, that core is pretty impressive. Well, and and a shout out to DeAndre Ayton too, who has been agile enough in the pick and roll to hold up even when they do go small and gives you enough offensively that it's not a problem in the way that it was with Rudy Gobert. What Ayton's been able to do in these playoffs and the comparisons he's starting to draw, which I think are, are pretty well deserved. I mean, he's put himself into some pretty special company in terms of bigs who can sustain value irrelevant of matchups, irrelevant of what big, small conditions, uh, whether the the point guard he's trying to pick up in the pick and roll is a threat to pull up or not, whether he's picking up, you know, hedging against Paul George or bumping this guy, he's proven to be just a really versatile defender in a way that a year ago would have seemed impossible. Yeah, preposterous. Right. So we have a question from Vance Williams, which is uh, related to this. Is Zubach the problem for the Clippers? Was what do you think? They kind of have to play him in the sense that with Kawhi out, they can't just do the all-wings, all-the-time lineup, right? And Aiton is not the type of guy. He's not Rudy Gobert, meaning you put a small guy on him, he's going to punish the guy, right? So they kind of have to play with size because offensively, the Sun center is competent. He catches, he can take a dribble, jump hook, like he can catch a lob. <laughs> he's an offensive threat one-on-one -on -one and when he's being set up for stuff. So they kind of have to play with some size. And by the way, I want to give a special shout out to Devin Booker um, because as somebody who played high school ball for an Irish Catholic dude named Tim Leary, who literally cared nothing more than this stuff, like your star player, your best player, 
planting a dude with the screen. He buried Zubac. That was that that was a full a, shove. Um, that was in, <laughs> he was like, I'm going to freaking bury this dude. And that's why Aiden got free for the lob. But no, you gotta play Zub. He's the only size they got, man. Like Aiden is gonna chew these little guys up otherwise. They played him 34 minutes, Zubat's last game. He that broke even. Well, he broke even. Like they were they were net zero in those minutes, which is fine if you're the Clippers. Like if you want to do that and then try to win at the end of the second and fourth with small ball, I think that's kind of your recipe. Except when the game comes down to a lob play. And for some reason, the Clippers have literally everything you could want on a roster, except for a big guy who could jump over a sheet of paper. Like you had, you had DeMarcus Cousins on the ball, completely misplayed that. And while yes, like Booker completely shoved the shit out of Zubac and there's really not much you could do there. Like he wasn't even coming close to DeAndre in on that alley-oop because he's yeah. just like, he's not athletic. And like he's, it's weird because I kept hearing about him as like this, the steal that they got from the Lakers and like, yes. oh my God, like he's going to be a, a pivotal Magic part and of this. don't know what they're doing. They gave Zubac away. How could right. they? <laughs> and like, he's, an, he's a useful player. He's a nice player. I don't think he's much more than just like a rotational big. Can I also say one more thing about that last play? Like I keep seeing people talk about Monty Williams like he's uh, 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 like Mozart with the the chalkboard here. He literally ran an alley-oop and his guy was bigger than the other one. Can we stop acting yeah, like... And again, <laughs> Devin Booker set an amazing screen. Right. Like, he literally set a back screen for an alley-oop. Every team runs this <laughs> in the same situation. Like Monty has been incredible this series, but this is not a representation of that. Uh, you sound like me and Sam Hinkie. No, he's not the first person to <laughs> figure out that losing gets you ping pong balls, guys. I'm going to take the hot take position that, yes, that was actually a good play. Put some respect <laughs> on Jay Triano's name, okay? I'm a Jay Triano apologist, oh, and I Lord. really need his, his memory to be remembered here. What's the deepest what's the deepest cut position we could take on that last? We haven't talked about Jay Crowder's pass. We haven't talked about Aiton holding Zubats's jersey, dragging him into the Booker screen. I mean, there's there's layers we have yet to go. We didn't get to campaign. We'll we'll save that for <laughs> another podcast. Um, all right. We'll just wrap it here then. Uh, thank you to Waz. Thank you to Rob. Thank you to Sasha Ashall on production. Thank you to Pat Muldowney for walking us through this technological world that we find ourselves in. Uh, and thank you to all of you on Green Room for joining us. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Uh, we'll see you then.